Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. News Radio, 640 Toronto. Here we go. It's hour two. It is a great day for talk radio. The midweek Wednesday edition sees at the bottom of hour two. Swifty and Potsy, a roundtable with Catherine Swift, former head of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, and Arthur Potts, the former Liberal MPP for Beaches East York. And uh, we'll hash out everything that was part of that omnibus package announced by the finance minister, Bill Morneau, earlier this morning, the COVID-19 assistance package, if you will. And again, uh, try to highlight some of the salient points in that and whether or not uh, they're adequate. Uh, in making people whole or at least uh, getting as close to it as we possibly can and what other measures uh, might we want to uh, pursue if things get even worse. I mean, boy, when you hear the numbers out of Italy and uh, surpassing China in terms of deaths now, I mean, this is where Europe is the epicenter, the new epicenter, and uh, which makes it truly a global pandemic uh, in the sense that uh, when we heard from Aaron O'Toole last hour, the MP for Durham, uh, he suggested a war footing on this. And that's not irrational because, I mean, we have to uh, really effectively fight this on a global level, but do as much as we can on the home front. And in that sense, uh, there are travel restrictions between Canada and the U.S. of A. Uh, that have been talked about, but not a firm timeline yet as to what that might entail. However, on that matter of uh, the cross-border relationship that we have, and we know it's inextricably linked when it comes to economies and trade and such, uh, Bruce Heyman, the former U.S. ambassador to Canada and author of the best-selling memoir, The Art of Diplomacy, Strengthening the Canada-U.S. Relationship in Times of Uncertainty. How timely is that title? The ambassador joins the Oakley Show at Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Mr. Ambassador, good to have you back on uh, in these trying times. I appreciate your joining us. It's a pleasure to join you, but I, I must tell you, it's uh, it is a trying time, and we're all going to have to buckle up and and know that there are going to be tougher days ahead of us. And you know, I, I'm confident in the Canadians I know and the Americans I know will be able to get through this. And but uh, I think we all have to be cognizant. It's it we're, we're in for a rough ride. And so uh, do you think then it's not hyperbole to say this is something we have to approach almost in a warlike footing and uh, whether or not we're doing enough to respond? I mean, on, on the, the American side of things, for example, a trillion dollars in liquidity and uh, really isn't the key. I mean, uh, the credit markets are the key to keeping the economy alive. So we have to have these huge infusions of cash and uh, you know certain help for people by way of uh, extending employment insurance benefits and subsidies and so on and so forth. Uh, adequate, appropriate, what say you? So markets, which I know a fair bit about since I worked on Wall Street for more than 30 years, you know, you need the confidence of the people who are investing. And what happens is when you lose the confidence, then people flee and it becomes fearful. And what we're in a position right now where literally people do not have the confidence, especially this last few weeks in the United States, 
that we have the leadership who's going to get us through, as you described it, in this wartime footing. And thus, people are selling everything. And it's very unusual in, mar- in any market to see everything getting sold. Bonds are being sold. Stocks are being sold. Gold's being sold. Commodities being sold. Oil's being sold. Everything's being sold, which means people are panicked and they're going for liquidity at any price. And then when you get in that kind of environment, you know, you create very significant and dramatic moves in marketplaces, which we've seen even the last few days. Well, what more could be done? You had the bank or I guess the Fed uh, dropping rates to effectively zero. uh, So they fired that arrow in the quiver. Uh, I was saying earlier that you've got a trillion dollars of liquidity that were announced by the Treasury Secretary Mnuchin the other day and, of course, Donald Trump. Uh, What other cards are left to play? So some of the cards are not cards that actually the central bank or the the government can actually play to change this. It has to do with the confidence of leadership that, you know, when you're in this war footing, as you described it, that war footing has to be, do I have confidence in my leader? Do I have confidence in our generals? Are they going to get us through this to the other side? And unfortunately, in the States, we're paying the price of a president who had not been wholly honest with the American people for a number of years, even the butt of jokes. Yeah, but how does that play into a, a worldwide scourge whose epicenter is now in Europe where the death rates are pronouncedly or markedly higher than they are in America or Canada. I'm talking about Italy. Here's how it plays. Here's how it plays. It it was not a surprise uh, that this thing is moving. And we're now dealing with this in North America. Um, But we had at least four, six, eight, ten weeks to prepare our country, testing kits, our healthcare system, to prepare our industries, to prepare our banking system, to prepare for this. It wasn't as if it started here, and then lo and behold, we're dealing with the problem. This is a problem that's been traveling. And we saw what was happening in Italy. And thus, we needed to tackle this head on. Now, I am more confident in the last couple of days that we've gotten to that, but we're behind in the U.S. We're behind in testing kits. We're behind in setting rules. And many Americans, which don't typically like to follow rules, are still out at bars drinking and still out at, you know, out at beaches in Florida. And they're all doing this at a time where, you know, look, you guys at least are telling people don't get together for coffee with your neighbors. Keep distance. Don't do play dates here. I've got Americans who are still, you know, behaving, you know, as if everything is, is still normalized and thus we're going to see pretty dramatic rule changes in the United States. And I think thus it makes sense for Canada to say, even though it was announced as this, you know, two country agreement, that it makes sense for Canada to say, hey, time out. You guys want to be crazy down there in the States and still socialize the way you're socializing and running around like that? Then why don't you just do that down there and don't bring it up here? And I think that's my interpretation of the message. And I think it's wholly appropriate. And I, and I get it. I get it. Right. Uh, is that really a consequence of uh, poor communication or it's just a cultural shortcoming? I think it's more. <laughs> wow. Um, I don't know. I think it's a combination of the two. I think the fact of the matter is we still don't have tests throughout our country. And, you know, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It hasn't arrived. 
And unfortunately, there are people that are suffering and sick and trying to still go to hospitals and get tested. And I, I've been on the phone with people who are in that situation and no tests are available. And they tell them just, you know, kind of quarantine yourself in place. And if it gets, you know, these conditions show up that, you know, you've got to call 911 and tell them that you have potentially the, the coronavirus and that they need to come prepared for that. But that being said, we're behind. We, we do, this is where the shortcomings of our healthcare system are going to be, you know, demonstrated relative to Canada. And, uh, you know, I understand Canada is not perfect in their healthcare system, but boy, today, many Americans would rather have the Canadian healthcare system than be afraid that they're not going to be able to get taken care of. Well, it remains to be seen, I guess. Uh, let's not hope for a worst-case scenario to test that assumption. Oh, my gosh, no. No, uh, because I know when it comes to ventilators, for example, uh, the best we can do is about 4,600 nationwide. That ain't going to be enough if it mm. really blows up like it has in Italy or, or Germany or Spain. We've got to flatten the curve. That's, you know, it, look, I think that makes sense. We, we're not saying well, there's no cure for this, at least at this point. Not at this so point. we can't overload our health care system, and we have to... If people are going to get sick, we got to basically spread it out so the healthcare system can digest it. Again, with Bruce Heyman, former U.S. ambassador to Canada, and uh, you cited as well working 30 plus years on Wall Street with Goldman Sachs. Uh, you were in private wealth management. What do you think some of these wealth managers are telling their clients today? So I, it's funny. I, I was talking to a number of them uh, at various firms. So um, when the market started initially falling, you know, they, they had this mentality of just buy the dip, just buy the dip. And you saw you saw it would fall 2,000 and rally 1,000 or fall 1,000, rally five or 600. But unfortunately, everybody who bought each of those dips over the last few weeks is really in the hole now. And I, you know, the, the problem with a lot of people on Wall Street is that they haven't seen uh, the, a correction like this. In 2008, many have joined. It's been more than a decade. And I would say a lot of people in this industry, you know, who have four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years of work experience have no experience whatsoever with the decline. And average bear markets decline about 33%. And in 2008, it declined about 53%. And I have been saying to people all along, you should have a portfolio that you should be comfortable that know that a bear market's going to happen. And you've got to withstand a 30%, 40% decline, knowing, of course, historically, leaving virus aside, that five years or seven years or 10 years down the road, you'll be much happier that you held that portfolio. But if you're overcommitted and overexposed to risk, you're going to be forced to sell at a time where you shouldn't be selling. And the, the mantra that I've always lived with is when people are greedy, you should be fearful. And when people are fearful, you should be a little greedy. Um, I don't think that the fear has manifested itself enough yet um, because people have not had the same impact of knowing someone, a loved one who has had this and unfortunately passed away or someone of a high public figure um, who has passed away. There is a death rate that goes with this. And I think once that starts happening, um, I think that it's going to be very jarring for our society. Interesting. Uh an epochal event then it's generational let me ask you about a couple of things here that uh, are just curiosities i mean we've got sure. this uh, imposition of a travel restriction between the two countries but if you're a dual mm -hmm. citizen how, how would that work as a dual citizen 
So I think the bigger question is what is essential versus non-essential? There's that too, right? What is this, what is essential travel? Mm. And I think that I, I just, my message to everybody on the phone, first of all, that it is difficult before this all the time that people go to the border and face different questioning or different interviews or different sets of circumstances. I lived through that. That being said, now where you have something that is a bit more vague as to what is essential and what isn't. And it's not going to be like, you'll know it when you see it, because we have almost 120 border crossings and we have airports that do operate if they're going to be operating. And so that is going to be up to the individual border officer to adjudicate in front of the person, is it essential or not? Hmm. And it may very well be you go, well, I did this yesterday and it was fine. It was essential. I'm coming back today. Sorry, because you have a different border guard and a different experience. Or you may hear from somebody else that has, you know, a different experience that, than yours. They didn't get in or they did get in. This is, you know, just be patient with this. It's going to be a set of learnings that we're all going to be going through. Yeah, and, as a watershed know, moment. There's going to be some tough experiences here at the border. Yeah. Uh, lastly, let me ask you, because, you know, we're all sensing this is a watershed moment in history, certainly, as I said, generationally or epochally. But now when we've got lessons to be learned or things that might be game changers, look, the Saudis just announced that they're going to actually uh, flood the market with oil, the global market. Oh. And so the barrel now, uh, Canadian barrel of oil is like under eight bucks. And you've got uh, West Texas Intermediate, which is sort of, you know, a benchmark, I think is trading at about 23. Haven't seen that level yeah. since. 2003. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so what happened? Fracking, the whole fracking industry is going to be gone in the States, isn't it? I, I will tell you that's highly likely. And that's exactly what Vladimir Putin has done. And so everybody has an understanding that with this virus, we saw a fall off in demand for oil all around the world. Of course, we're not flying, we're not driving, we're not trucking, we're not doing these things. And so as a result of that, the Saudis basically said with OPEC and with Russia, hey, let's cut our production back so this thing doesn't fall through the floor. And what the Russians said was, you know, not so much. We're not cutting back. And we're, we're basically think we should take it to the frackers and, and the oil, the small oil producers in the U.S. and by extension, Canada. And so the Saudis got really upset with the Russians. So they say, you think that we're just going to flood the market and you're going to feel the pain, too. Because the Saudis can produce oil like three bucks a barrel. Mm -hmm. They make money at any price, almost. And so they think they're going to squeeze Russia. Russia thinks they're squeezing us. In the meantime, the oil price, which was trading in the 50s, close to 60, is now 20. And a lot of people are going to go out of business. Yeah. How about this one? Uh, have we learned that maybe we're too reliant on China when it comes to pharmaceuticals, for example? A lot of the... Uh, pharmaceuticals are coming out of China. Is this maybe uh, a hard lesson in uh, real politic or real economic that we've got to decouple from China? I think we're going to see as a result of this what we get and where we get it and from whom we get it and how reliant we are. And I think there are going to be whole sets of changes of behaviors that are going to take place, not only at the macro level, as you suggested, country to country, but at the micro level. I mean, look, I just had an experience today that I just couldn't ever. My best friend's mother passed away. Okay. Mm. She doesn't live in Chicago. And I don't believe it had anything to do with this virus. 
And the phone call was, we're going to do a virtual funeral. I said, well, what's a virtual funeral? Well, you know, the rabbi's going to do something. I don't know. Is it a phone call? Is it video? But that's what's coming up. I think our behaviors of how we communicate, work environment, working at home, should we have big conferences the way we used to have big conferences? What are they going to look like? How are people going to congregate together? Um, a lot of restaurants are going to go out of business. They were at the margin anyway. How we eat. And everything as a result of this is going to change in some way, shape, or form or another. Some for the better, some for the worst, but we are going to accelerate the natural changes that may have been taking place in our economy, and we're going to do it really fast now. And for some people, they're going to lose jobs, and other people are going to gain opportunities, and it is going to be unsettling, I think, for a lot of people that go through this kind of experience. All the while, we're kind of supposed to be sheltered at home and stay at home and don't go out anywhere, and all this is happening in real time very fast. Can you imagine the children and what they're going to talk about to their children someday about this environment and what happened to the world when we had the coronavirus? Heady times indeed. Yeah, people are going to be sitting Shiva in a virtual world as well. I mean, when you just mentioned that, mm-hmm. I thought, geez, you know, it's all, uh, it's a game changer. Bruce, it's a, a pleasure to talk as always. We'll do it down the road. Stay safe and healthy. Stay healthy, everyone, and can't wait to get back to Toronto and enjoy your beautiful city. Bruce Heyman, former U.S. Ambassador to Canada and uh, author of the bestseller, The Art of Diplomacy. Well, we're going to find out uh, because we've got a union head coming up, the president of the Amalgamated Transit Union, John Danino. When you've got an essential service, how do those frontline workers feel being in proximity with masses of humanity? In a moment, we'll get to that. Swifty and Potsy at the bottom of the hour right now to the roads we go. And a check of chopper traffic. Good afternoon, Ari Rubinovich. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.